It's April 29, 2020, and welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we'll have Omar Sultan from Accelerate HI, who joins us to tell us about the Pre-X program. And then we'll be joined by Misha Arden and Eric Jones to talk about contact tracing, the Apple, Google, API, and the Safe2 app. Of course, don't forget... Applications to the Blue Startups Cohort number 12 Accelerator Program closes tomorrow, which is Thursday, April 30th. The new start date for the program is to be determined, so stay tuned for more updates. In the meantime, you can check it out and go to uh, bluestartups.com for information on the Accelerator Program. And they also posted a video that's uh, pretty cool. I'll put that up on the show notes for later on tonight. Now, I'd like to welcome Omar Sultan from Accelerate HI and Sultan Ventures, who joins us to tell us about the Pre-X program. Welcome to the show, Omar. Hello, Bert, and thanks for having me on the show. Always love being on here and chatting with you and your audience. Yeah, well, you're calling all the way from Honolulu. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this this new reality uh, edition of Bite Marks Cafe, you know, ever since uh, coronavirus, everybody calls in. Usually, I like everybody to come into the studio, but... Now, you know, it's everybody's calling in, so I don't get to see your handsome face. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> seeing you in person. So tell me, so uh, Accelerate HI and, and this uh, Pre-X program, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. We're pretty excited to launch it. It's a free virtual four-week investment readiness and training program, and its goal is to arm Hawaii entrepreneurs and, and businesses with the critical knowledge, tools, guidance for, uh, for their success. So I know that, uh, you know, Accelerate HI has been pretty active with workshops and, you know, a whole uh, slew of of really great uh, content, I guess, to get people uh, not only up to speed on some of these topics you just brought up, but, uh, you know, in this sort of COVID-19 world that we live in, what, this is a a virtual uh, program, right? Yep, it's uh, completely virtual. So we made some tweaks. Um, we had been planning to launch this program for a while now. It's, it's supported by HTDC, mm-hmm. and we're excited to have them supporting this initiative. And, um, you know, when COVID hit, we took a step back and we thought about should we delay this, which I know some of the other programs have been doing, or should we, you know, press forward and just, you know, true startup style tweak it for yeah. the changing times. And that's what we decided to do. We made it a completely virtual program to be able to provide the support that we know all the small businesses, entrepreneurs, and startups out there need it. So over the course of the four weeks, uh, I know you sort of talked about some of the things that you're going to cover, but give us a sense of what will happen over the course of these four weeks. Yeah, Over the four weeks, we're going to go do stuff. Uh, We're going to allow these businesses, some of them, some of these businesses and business owners, you know, maybe they're interested in getting funding. So we're going to bring in potential funders from different sources to talk to them. Some of them are interested in getting into uh, accelerators. So we're actually going to have local accelerators and national accelerators coming in to share best practices, to share what they look for in companies, et cetera. Um, banks are going to be involved and different uh, venture firms and angel investors are going to be involved, lawyers, et cetera. So really kind of the infrastructure that you need to go from wherever you are today to where you want to go tomorrow, that's the springboard and the, the bridge, if you will, that we want to act as. So, so whether it's I have an idea or I have an existing business, I want to launch a new product, 
that's the whole concept behind pre-X. Are you pre-revenue, pre-customers, pre-investment, pre-X, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever your X is, mm -hmm. this program will help kind of bridge that gap. So when people sign up, are they, are they expected to go through uh, the entire sort of program or do they kind of pick and choose? Uh, the, uh, well, this is a pilot program. Our intention and what we would like to see is there a, is a minimum commitment on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. right? Each mm -hmm. one of these seats has, uh, has a sort of a cost associated with it, right? Though we're not charging for it. And we understand that cohort participants have various availabilities and restrictions and schedules right now. And some of them have jobs, some of them are out of jobs. Um, so there's going to be a, a, a variance in sort of the audience, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we've structured the program to the best of our ability so that it's flexible um, with some stuff real time and some stuff that's asynchronous. But there is a minimum time commitment that we expect the companies and the entrepreneurs in the pro pre-ex programs to commit to. And so over the course of the week, how many hours do you think it would be, uh, would be spent on the program? I think at a minimum, it's, we're looking at probably six to ten hours, roughly. But then there is probably twice the amount of uh, content and opportunities available to them that are optional, right? So they can dive as deep as they want um, into this endeavor. Oh, that sounds, that sounds good. And, and uh, this is open to kind of any entrepreneurial business uh, uh, interest, right? I mean, it's not just tech, right? It's anybody in the business community. Yep, absolutely. Anybody in the business community, any business owner, small business, startup, tech, mm -hmm. uh, you name it. And, we, and then the applications that we're seeing, uh, we're happy that the messaging is coming through loud and clear that this is available to anyone. Uh, we've gotten nonprofits and we've gotten high growth businesses and we've gotten individuals who have an idea and they, they want to start a business. That's great. Um, so, and, and you said it's, yep. it's, uh, it's free, so I mean, might as well take advantage of this uh, offering. Absolutely. It's free, no equity, no IP transfers, no intellectual property assignments. It's completely free. Sounds good. So, Omar, where can people sign up? Uh, great question. <laughs> Go to <laughs> accelerateHI.com. That's X-L-R-8-H-I.com. Sign up there for uh, more information and view the opportunity that is the pre-ex program sounds good and of course the the key date is you gotta you gotta sign up by may 8th which is next week friday so i think that's the one of the key uh, uh deadlines right yeah may 8th the sooner the better uh, we're doing this a little bit differently than most other programs these are rolling applications which means rolling admissions uh where our plan is we're accepting companies as we review them. They're not going to be in batches. Usually everyone waits for all the applications to come in and uh -huh. then chooses. We're accepting them based on the merit of the application in and of itself. Good. So, like you said, you got about nine days left. The deadline is May 8th. The sooner you apply, the better. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Omar, for joining us. Thanks, Brett. Of course, right now we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Mitra Arden and Eric Jones to talk about contact tracing the Apple Google API, and the Save2 app. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors the Rice Partnership and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. 
Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I am happy to welcome Mitra Arden and Eric Jones to the show. Mitra is a social entrepreneur and innovator working in the fields of technology for good, mostly, most recently at the Internet uh, Archives. And of course, meanwhile, Eric Jones is a seasoned disaster planner, exercise uh, conductor, crisis manager, and recently with the American Red Cross. Uh, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, Omar. Aloha. Now, I just want to um, uh, preface uh, the fact that uh, Eric and I have crossed paths in a class that I was doing for the National Disaster Preparedness Training Center way back when, when we were doing uh, social media for natural disasters. And, and by God, Eric, you remembered. I did back in 2013, Bert. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad we had that time together. I'm shocked every day at the enormity of this disaster we're facing right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, this is a great chance to catch up with you and, and sort of find out what uh, what uh, you folks have uh, gotten together to create. Now, tell me, how did, now, Mitra, you're calling in from Australia. Eric, you're in Colorado. I mean, how did you guys kind of bring together the team that created Soft uh, Safe 2? Mitra, you were on deck first. I'll defer to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I came across the team because when I was at the Internet Archive, I was the head of decentralization there, and some of the team had worked in a different te- decentralization technology called Hollow, and I'd met them there. Um, so when the disaster happened, it was like, well, how can I, I, can, how can I help? And uh, someone introduced us. So, so tell me, uh, so maybe Mitra and Eric, I mean, Mitra first. I mean, what is your, what is your contribution to the project? I mean, what... what sort of skills do you bring to the table? Well, I've worked on a lot of protocols, including some of the original internet protocols. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working on the protocol side and the back-end side. Great. And Eric, um, and what it, I mean, as a disaster preparedness kind of guy, I mean, I know you're out uh, on the sort of like the front line trying to do not only uh, uh, preparedness but uh, recovery. I mean, so is that is that kind of where you're coming at this? But it's a good question, Bert. What's great is Dr. Jameson Day, the founder of our, our Safe2 COVID app, he, uh, he and I have known each other for 10 years, and we've been thinking about ways that we can help in this space, mm-hmm. kind of a blend of technology and our experiences in disaster response, especially and recovery. And uh, when he came knocking, I came running. I think this is a great opportunity to contribute to humanity. Great, great. Now you know we're we're getting used to some new terminology, and and I think every every day that goes by, uh, there's something new that kind of crops up. I mean, first it was you know flatten the curve, and then now we're sort of hearing things like, uh, well, I heard contact tracking, and the idea of you know trying to get a sense of who you're coming into contact with, and and sort of keeping track of those contacts. But now we're also hearing things like contact tracing. Maybe give us a maybe give us your uh, take on what contact tracking is versus contact tracing, and maybe I'll I'll give that to Eric. Yeah, Bert. So it's been a long time since I've been in a clinical setting. I was an EMT back in the day, but I have been talking with my wife, who's an emergency manager, mm-hmm. and the way she describes it is like this. Let me let me start with tracing. Okay. So let's say a patient walks into a hospital in Kauai and tests positive for the coronavirus. The district health office might want to know where they've been in the last recent days so they can notify other people that have possibly been infected. And then 
maybe get those people tested and possibly even quarantine them before they can spread the virus to others. So it's a manual process, and this form of contact tracing is routine, and it helps epidemiologists, it helps health officials to track the movement of dangerous infectious diseases throughout populations. So they're literally tracking down those at risk. So if you think about it in a historical context, the role is done manually. You interview people individually, one at a time. It's like old-fashioned detective work. You want to identify where they've been, who they've interacted with, and then you want to reach out and contact those folks that have been a part of that person's life and make sure that they know uh, that they're at risk. And it takes a lot of effort. In my understanding, it can take up to 15 days worth of work just to go and start the tracking from one infected person. That's time, a lot of valuable time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and uh, so, Mitra, I mean, in terms of your assessment of the marketplace, is, is a lot of the, let's say, the uh, health authorities, are they, are they doing this kind of manually now, or are there applications that they're now currently uh, using to make it more, uh, not only automated, but more you know, efficient to manage? Well, from my understanding, pretty much everyone does this manually. Um, but that, that, that's a scaling issue. It, it, the disease really takes off, and this is, like any virus, this is exponential. Um, it's quickly going to overload any number of people, even if you put all of those people put out of work by the lockdown. Um, it's a lot of work. And so ap- applications are really going to be needed so that we catch people after they're infected, but before they start infecting other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's no good if it takes you five days and that person's infected four people in the meantime. You know, it's one, thing, it's one thing to, you know, have the application that gives you the, the um, information around, uh, let's say, who you might be crossing paths with. But even if you have crossed paths with somebody that's uh, COVID-19 positive, uh, then it still begs the question, what do you do then? right? It does, and it, it leaves a lot of questions, quite frankly. Um, Bert, I, I, I've been tracking what's happening in South Dakota, in North Dakota, and even in Utah, where apps are beginning to be used to perform the services of contact tracing. Mm-hmm. And they seem, to be, they seem to be following the same model of, of use, utilizing Bluetooth technologies, developing contact protocols, and then working with health services partners to kind of triangulate where the outbreaks are occurring, and really work against the operation uh, less chaotically and work more fluidly and can focus their attentions on the right areas versus kind of sporadically trying to fight this invisible virus uh, all at once. So the point that that you're bringing up is that I think, you know, there are a variety of different methods and applications that uh, uh, the health authorities are using uh, is there some commonality across, you know, the different, uh, let's say, Department of Health agencies? Or, I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, they're different in every state. I mean, so how how is the technology helping to address the diversity of, of ways that this could be uh, handled, uh, you know, in terms of contact tracing? Well, in, in any application, um, you can't just deliver one app to everybody. Right. You're going to have to deliver an app. And then you're going to have to customize it. So, for example, if I get um, exposed here in Australia, my action might be to go and get tested because we've got really good testing here. 
but in a in a state where testing is much weaker, uh, the message might be stay at home um, and only go in for testing if you've got symptoms, or it might be phone your GP and and ask them if you should come in. So the message is going to have to be tuned to where the where the application is running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and. Let's 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 kind of talk a little bit about the uh, technology. And I know you mentioned uh, uh, Eric. You mentioned the um, using Bluetooth. And so, if a let's say a smartphone has a Bluetooth beacon, and the beacon actually uh, indicates or provides information about uh, COVID positive or or not, um, how does how does this work? I mean, I know this is part of the Apple Google API, but Maybe we can talk a little bit about how does that actually work in terms of either this idea of, of proximity tracing or what, what Apple Google sort of refers this also to is uh, something like exposure notification. Eric, maybe you can tackle that. Yeah, I'll start and first state that I'm not the technologist on the call, but I can make some observations and then pass it over to Mitra. But so what we're seeing is the different types of Bluetooth capabilities uh, that are available are somewhat limited. And we've uh, proudly partnered with Hype Labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've recently been in the media around their capability to do some really cool stuff with Bluetooth. But uh, I think that's the one common denominator that even we have with Apple and all these other state-produced uh, applications. But in addition, we use GPS. And I'll let Mitra kind of talk about the Bluetooth GPS integration and how that's really helping us. Okay, so so Mitra, so now we're talking a little bit more specific around Safe Two. So, how does Safe Two kind of leverage GPS and Bluetooth? Well, the two are really complementary, and I think the the if I use a human analogy, um, maybe for your less technical listeners, in for GPS, essentially what you do is this is your downtown Honolulu. Um, your app would ask, are there any hotspots in this area? And you get back a list from the server, and really all you're doing is looking, I'm going over to the fish shop and the cafe, so they turn up in a list of hot spots. Um, and, and then that might help you decide whether to go there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, for Bluetooth, the, the equivalent is a bit like walking into a cafe and you, know, you yell out some random word, and let's say potato, and... And you're listening while you're at the cafe, and you hear, oh, I heard tomato, and I heard banana. And then later, looking at a notice board, the person who was shouted out potato finds out they're infected. And they put a notice up there, and they say, hey, I'm infected, and um, I, I think I might have infected the person who yelled out potato. And it's kind of like that with Bluetooth. You, you, you broadcast an ID, which is anonymous. Nobody knows who said it. And, and if you turn up infected, you send those IDs into a server to say, these are, the one, these are the IDs I heard that need to pay attention and take the next step in the process. You know, and, and that kind of is a good lead into how the, um, the Bluetooth token kind of anonymizes the information so that it's, it helps to address the, the privacy issues. So I, I do want to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, of course, uh, we will take a short break <laughs> and uh, continue our conversation with both Mitra Arden and Eric Jones. And we're talking about contact tracing and the Safe2 application. So hold on. We'll be right back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Micha Arden and Eric Jones about the tech behind contact tracing and exposure notification. And, of course, right before the break, we are talking about Bluetooth LE and the token and anonymizing, you know, the actual uh, notification of, of a token that perhaps was uh, flagged as, as COVID positive. So, so Mitra, tell me, I mean, um, the fact that the token doesn't contain any personal information does that, in and of itself, eliminate the concern over privacy? It's part of it. It's not all of it. Um, the first thing, of course, is, as you said, the token's anonymized. So the person who hears that token has no idea who it came from, which phone it came from. Um, the second thing is, when that person's infected, they send that token up to the server. Mm-hmm. But the server doesn't know who sent it in. It just came from a phone as a request that said, hey, I'm infected and I heard these these anonymized tokens. And the third part is that when you're checking with the server, um, like I, the example I used was, was potato. Mm-hmm. You would ask, tell me any words that started with pot. And you hear back, you know, potassium and pot brownie and potato. And you say, oh, that's me. But the server doesn't know what you're asking for. So they don't know that you found out you were infected. So... Nobody knows anything about anybody else, and that's key to anonymity. Mm-hmm. You're not trusting anybody, including the people running the server. Now, in terms of the Apple Google API and perhaps what you've implemented with Safe2, uh, is, it, is it different? Is it the same? Are you leveraging the, the Apple API? I mean, how does that – is there a coming together of, of these sort of protocols and technologies? Well, the, the Bluetooth – Technology is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. We'd be happy to use Apple Google's for that. Um, the part that's different is that there's two thick main differences between what we do and what Apple Google does. One is that um, this disease is changing very quickly, and we're learning a lot about it. So, for example, we've included GPS, and Apple and Google lock down the communications between the client and the server, so you can't really add in other functionality that's necessary or that we discover is necessary to... Um, um, to, to, you know, to contain this epidemic. And the other big difference is that the Apple Google protocol is only available to government-run health departments. And, and in, you know, we're working with some of those people, and they're, in many cases, the right people, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, there are companies that want to run these kind of technologies in, inside their companies long before the, the slow-moving state gets around to it. Mm-hmm. There are NGOs that serve underserved populations, and in many countries around the world, the last person anyone's going to trust with this is the government. Right. So, you know, what I'm, what I'm kind of wondering is, uh, you know, when Google, well, more so, more so with Apple in terms of the App Store, and they, uh, you know, allow or disallow applications, in the case of the, 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 you know, the API and authorized health organizations that are using the API, would they have a controlling role to play in what gets into the app store? 
So like they will automatically allow those particular apps from those authorized health agencies to be in the app store versus some something that's been developed sort of third party. Yeah, I mean they they control who has access to that API, uh, and at the moment it's just public health authorities, and they've said they won't expand it to NGOs. Um, Does that, that doesn't mean that other people can't don't have ways of distributing uh, applications, but. Uh, initially, it may not be through the app store. I got it. it. Okay, yeah, that was that was kind of my question. So, so with Safe Two, I mean, how would you view getting your application out into the market? Uh, first, well, firstly, Bert, we are pursuing that health authorization, and I know Mitra has other strategies in mind, but the health authorization is a part of our strategy, and we're in conversations with a few individuals right now. Okay, okay. Now, um, in in terms of the um, the way that a an exposure notification might work. So if you were to get a, uh, let's say you, you use any of the apps that we're talking about, whether it's Safe2 or, or something else, and you get a notification, what is the action that you have to take at that point in time? I mean, you have to make the choice of whether now you want to get tested because you came into contact with somebody that's COVID-19 positive. Let me, let me back up a second, Bert, and just kind of talk about what Safe2 is, kind of level set there. Sure. So first, Safe2 is not a con- contact tracing app. Our app drives exposure notifications without the loss of privacy. Mm-hmm. So Safe2 is a smartphone app, yes, and it can give you peace of mind for sure as you go about your day during this pandemic. So think of us as kind of creating a smarter, smarter social distancing reality, and it does it in a couple ways, but... When someone you've come in contact with gets COVID symptoms, Safe2 will alert you within an hour. If you if you want to go to the grocery, if you want to uh, check to see on our Safe2 app if there's a hot spot on our kind of our map, and determine if the area has seen some infection, whether or not customers who've been there recently may be uh, presenting symptoms, our, our app does that, and it's all anonymous. So our goal ultimately is to empower smart social distancing accelerate economic recovery, help us all feel safer, and save lives. That's what I'm all about. And we want to outmaneuver the virus. And our whole team leads wholly in these goals. And and so, uh, um, Eric, I mean, what is some of your uh, sort of adoption strategies? I mean, and it's all the key is getting it into the most people's hands as possible, right? It, it is. And we've been working uh, for the last few weeks aggressively conducting outreach calls to partners that matter. Partners that include local NAACP chapters, conversations with American Indian tribes back in the mainland, conversations with urban and rural communities to determine how do we make this app right for everybody. Uh, We're excited to say today, uh, after piloting the app last weekend here in Golden, Colorado, we have our second true pilot with uh, Catholic Charities in Southern Florida. So April's been super exciting for us, and next week we're going to be reviewing applications for additional pilots, we've already identified five traditionally underserved areas on the mainland to pilot with. So those include Native American communities in New Mexico, Oklahoma, African-American towns in Texas. We're collaborating with partners in California and Middle America and more on the East Coast, including a sister from the Catholic Church who wants to see us help her in her outreach to the homeless. So, so uh, we're hoping also, Bert, to get some interest from Hawaii. And so uh, where can people find out more about Safe2 and, uh, and possibly pilot happening here in Hawaii? So the, the first place is our website, uh, www.safe, 
S-A-F-E, the number two, .org. You can also follow us on social media. We're also trying to open up a dialogue in that space. So well, if you look for I'll, I'll, I'll definitely two. put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. Misha Arden and Eric Jones both are part of the team to develop the Safe2 application. And I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank Mahalo. you. Thank you, Bert. And thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about companies that are thriving during this period of crisis. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay awesome, stay safe, and we will see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bye.